I want to talk to you this morning about how small things can make a big difference and uh, hopefully move our hearts to, to have more faith in our faith, to more, have more zeal in our zeal, to have, to have more freedom in our expressions, to have more, to have more hope within. So, Father, we just, we just welcome right now you uh, brooding over the Word, brooding over our hearts, quickening insight to us, bringing revelation to the Word today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? So the Word is chocked full of uh, these instances, it seems, where little things made a massive difference where little things are amplified, where they're praised, where they're glorified, where, where little things are important. And I want to bring our attention to that because I think sometimes uh, we have a tendency to dismiss or despise or diminish the little things that we're doing for kingdom advancement. And, and so I, I titled this today, How Visionaries Move Culture. And the visionaries that I want us thinking about today especially are the visionaries who fly by the instruments, not by what they see. And, and I think the word would call us to that kind of a lifestyle, that kind of a mindset to fly by the instruments instead of by what we see. Because as Chris was mentioning, there's so many things that we see that might be uh, disturbing, that might be disappointing, that might be frustrating, that might even bear witness to a negative testimony about our future, about where we're going. But if we can fly by the instruments, in other words, if we would just continue to fly by the word, you know, when an airplane pilot is coming in uh, to a, a, a landing or uh, as they're, as they're making their way in any destination, any trajectory of destination, and they they are hitting inclement weather where, where they can't see. Uh, they can continue to have faith in the destination by flying according to the instruments. And that's a little bit of the picture that God wants us to have when we think about walking by faith and not by sight. And not only walking by faith, but I love what Chris was saying at the end of worship. Let's carry this out this week. Instead of reflecting negativity on our social media pages or whatever, let's, let's carry out of this house, out of this place, that faith perspective that we're, that we're releasing prophetic joy bombs, prophetic power bombs, prophetic grace bombs, prophetic hope bombs into every atmosphere that we encounter knowing that it will make a huge difference. Now, the Bible talks about a few of these things, and I want to draw our attention to, uh, not to Dave's killer bread, but I just, you know, we happen to have this. Uh, yesterday, yesterday at our house, uh, a sourdough uh, was resurrected. So that was pretty cool. So a little bit of something, I don't know what you, what you want to call it. I, I have a word for it. I call it... I, oh, starter. That's the official word. Okay, I have another word for it. Uh, we'll, we'll go with starter. So, um, so yesterday, though, uh, the ladies got together and made blueberry uh, sourdough bread, of which, of which we have to be careful about because I have to fit into this new shirt from Italy. 
And uh, so, but I got to thinking about, you know, some of this as it pertains to uh, today's message, and that is the power of a small thing. You know, the Bible talks about the power of yeast, and, and one, one little bitty packet of yeast caused this dough to rise and become even bigger than it is because we had a few slices. But one little bitty packet of yeast caused a giant lump of dough to be completely transformed. Is that crazy? This yeast worked through the entire dough. This yeast infected, permeated, transformed this entire, like, not, not, you understand what I'm doing. Not this particular one, but, but this, a little packet of yeast, a little bitty, I don't know what we have here, a couple, couple teaspoons maybe? There's not much in this packet. This is more packaging than it is yeast. And the Bible says we're like that. The Bible says that's us. That we're like a little bit, and let me read a couple of verses to you. Let's go to a couple of verses just taking leaven. Just taking leaven. Romans eleven sixteen. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, the branches are too. The international version, uh, NIV says, if the part of the dough offered as the first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch? And Jesus talking about the power, the effect of the gospel, of whom we are the yeast-bearing gospel agents, in Matthew thirteen thirty three says, And he spoke another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour, until all was leavened. So just thinking about the power of leaven, the, the Bible says that leaven has the power to transform stuff, and you and I are the leaven-packing agents of God. Is that cool? Isn't that fun? That's just leaven. I want you to go to first fruits and think about first fruits for a minute. You know, it says that Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits of a new creation. Jesus is the new first fruits of transformation. And what it's saying there, it's interesting, but what it's saying there is that Jesus has the power, Jesus and those with him, Jesus and those married to him, Jesus and those joined to him have the power to make the whole lump transform, to bring First fruit transformation to the whole. fact is, this principle is woven so deep into the kingdom, going all the way back to the beginning of God's dealing with mankind, that what we see in the beginning is God says that even the firstborn male out of the womb will be consecrated, devoted to the Lord. The firstborn male belongs to the Lord because the firstborn sanctifies the womb, sanctifies all that will follow. 
This is why we know the first fruits with us financially is important. This is part of the first fruits understanding is that when we give the first of our finances or the first of our crops, our produce, our increase to the Lord, then the biblical principle is if the first belongs to him, then the rest will. If the first is set aside to him, then he will sanctify everything else that's associated with that and everything else that follows. I want want you to see this in the picture of, of our transformative power and relationship in culture. That we are joined to the first fruits of resurrection. We are joined to the first fruits victorious one. And he's using us to bring transformation to the whole earth. Ezekiel 44.30, the first of all first fruits of every kind, of every contribution of every kind, from all your contributions shall be for the priest. You shall also give to the priest the first of your dough to cause a blessing to rest on your house. Exodus 13.2, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The firstborn from every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, both of man and beast. Now, he's he's showing us principles here, but I want you to take this principle and realize that we're the first fruits, Christian believers are the first fruits of the working out of the new creation, the working out of, of restoration, the working out of righteousness in the earth, that, that we we have this crazy privileged relationship in culture, in the earth, that God is using, whether we think he's using it or not, whether we think it's working or not, whether we see uh, immediate impact or not, God is using our association with the first fruits, Jesus, to transform culture. Christ is the first fruits, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. Verse 21, let me pick it up there. For since death came in through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Christ is the firstfruits. We're hidden in him. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a set-apart people that we would declare the praises of our God. We have been knit to the first fruits one. Now, the first fruits principle is almost like, if we could see this, is that Jesus has been thrust through the womb of resurrection. He has been thrust through the womb of of victory. He has been thrust through the womb of the earth groaning and travailing. And we are partners with him. So if the first if the first is holy, then the lump will become holy. If the first is leaven, then the earth will become leavened. And and, and and what I want us to see, what, what the Word wants us to see, is that we can have a confidence in this, like a calm, cool confidence that God is working, that God is up to amazing stuff, 
that God is using us. That even the little things we do make a difference. Then there's the illustration of the remnant. The remnant. The remnant's an interesting thing because whenever and throughout time, whenever the people of God have struggled, and usually they've struggled due to their own sin, wherever the people of God had struggled, and especially we see this in Old Testament understanding, Old Testament insight, that there would be a remnant, there would be a leftover, there would be, there would be that which would still be hanging on. The remnant is what is left from something much larger. And the remnant always would belong to God. And it's interesting, even in that time, like some might say, well, I don't know, but things are so bad right now. I mean, I think all we have is a remnant. Well, you just made a confession you didn't want to make right there. You just made a super positive confession, and you were trying to make a negative one. Because if you say all we have is a remnant, then that's all God needs to birth something great. If you, it just seems like, uh, you know, Christianity's under attack everywhere, and it's been under attack in, in Europe, and, and it just, it's been under attack, and churches are empty, and, and yeah, all of that's sad, but guess what? There's still a remnant. And if God has a remnant, God has what he, can, what he, what he needs to do something with. He says, actually, you're, all you have to be is the salt of the earth. All, all, all the, all, that's all you have to be, is the salt of the earth. You, just have courage, have faith that your life before God, that your testimony of His goodness, that your loving ministry and kindness is powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective. A remnant, a leftover amount from a larger portion or piece, whether food or material from a garment that's been fashioned, even a group of people, even though remnants could be looked at as worthless scraps, and many times are, God has assigned high value to those of his people who he's set aside for holy purposes, and he's labeled in the word as remnants. And even Elijah, when Elijah cries out to God, God, me alone, I'm the only one that hasn't bowed my knee to Baal. He's looking over the situation, and we see him crying out with kind of this, uh, this sad, he's mourning the situation. He's not seeing a lot standing for righteousness. And God says, no, be, be, be cool, chill, chill. I've got 7,000 that I've reserved unto myself. I have a remnant. I have, a, I have those set apart. You might, might not be seeing them. They might not be on platforms. Maybe they aren't on television right now. But I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee. I've got 7,000 who are in prayer. I've got 7,000 who are not compromising. I've got 7,000 who still love my name. I've got 7,000 who are lifting me up. And that's what he needed, by the way. That's all he needed. And the Bible's full of these crazy... It's almost like God would rather get a breakthrough with something small than with something big. It's not that he doesn't want the big. It's not that he's not going to bring critical mass. It's not that he's not going to bring an epidemic of goodness, of restoration, 
of righteousness. It's not that he's not after that, but the breakthrough, he loves to get a breakthrough with a small remnant or a small group or, a, or, or one person who sees themselves as small. He loves to get those kinds of breakthroughs. You remember Judges chapter 6? Judges chapter 6, Gideon is called to advance against the enemies. And God, God plays with Gideon. He's got, he's got all of these warriors. And he says, no, that's too many. Send those home. Anybody that's trembling or fearful, anybody that's, anybody that's trepidatious, anybody that's not confident about being with you in this battle, just send them home. Then he takes the rest of them down to the water. And he says, okay, watch them. Those that put their face in the water to drink, send them home. They're not watching things. They're not observant. Only those who bring up the water and watch with their eyes, those are the ones we're going we're gonna to win this battle with. We're going to win the battle with 300 against thousands. Because it's not the size and this is what we have to watch for. This is, this is what I believe God wants to talk to our hearts about, even in this hour, because in, in our culture, it's so easy to get caught up in be it the negativity or the discouragement or the darkness or, 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 or the despairing because... Culture isn't moving vastly. We aren't seeing culture move vastly toward righteousness. And so we, participating in a democratic republic, we kind of feel like, okay, the majority are going to get the victories. The majority, and this is walking by sight instead of walking by instruments. Walking by sight instead of walking by faith is we begin to get maybe beat up a little bit and beat down a little bit and discouraged a little bit because we're observing things that are happening. We're in, and maybe we've been observing the increase of some negative things in culture and we're, in, we're, we're observing some, some, some increase of, and, and, and I think we could acknowledge in the United States, there's been a devolving of excellence. There's been a devolving uh, of uh, righteousness. There's been a devolving of godliness. There's been a devolving of church attendance. We, we can acknowledge there's been some things going on over the last few years. Some have said since 1962 when prayer was taken out of schools. And so we could say, well, this is a sign of the time. We could get discouraged. We could get negative. We could get downcast. Or we could take a cue from the Lord and say, well, I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm not going to get in agreement with the inclement situation around me. I'm going to continue to run my life on the trajectory of victory toward my destiny, flying by instruments and not by what I see. And I'm going to continue to believe that God uses very small things. See, Satan knows that God uses very small things. So if he can get everyday Christians, if he can convince everyday Christians to begin to get gloom cast and negative 
and dark in their perspective and walking and talking according to what they see instead of what God has told us, then he's beginning to move the whole church into a disabled situation where we cannot, though we're smaller than culture itself, we cannot change it because we've come into a disagreement with Jesus himself, who is the first fruits, who is the leaven, who is the breakthrough, who is the remnant, who is the center of our attention and the empowered one who empowers us. We're really extensions of him, are we not? This is why we're called Christians. We're extensions of the anointed. So if the extensions of the anointed lose their salt, lose their savor, if the salt, of which it doesn't have to be everything. Culture is everything. All it needs is a little salt. And if we just continue to be that salt, continue to be that salt, knowing that God is using us in powerful ways, then God will continue to use us in powerful ways. Though we tend subconsciously or consciously in America to think that a majority is important, I want to submit to you, and the Bible's full of this insight, that it's really the brave ones It's the single souls who buck the tide with ideas that bring reformation. We tend to think the majority rules and that if the whole is moving towards something negative, what can we do? What can one person do? What can my actions do? What difference can I make? But actually history is colored and textured from people who stood out People who made a difference. People who lived bigger than the status quo. Brave ones. I I want to submit to you that this is even what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. The hall of faith. We call it the hall of faith. This is what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. It's interesting. Why is the Bible, why is the Old Testament full of stories of individuals? Why is it that the stories of the individuals are even greater emphasized than the whole? The whole of the priesthood or the the whole of, uh, of whatever would be the hallmark of what God would be doing generally with the people of God. It's the single individuals and it's single individual stories that God lifts up. And I think God is doing this on purpose that we could see that as those who operate in a theocracy, it's not the majority, it's the influence of those who are touched by God, the theocracy will rule. The theocracy will rule. And God will use small things, and he'll use single individuals to bring amazing change. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's, that's so much of why, that's so much of why we walk with God and we, 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 we serve God with a whole heart is, is Yes, there's power in corporate expression, and there's, there's power in, in democratic expression. But critical mass, critical mass is fueled first by a few.
Critical mass is fueled by a few who will stand out. A few who will separate themselves. A few who will be different. A few who will represent what God is saying and what God is doing. Can I bring you a couple contemporary uh, examples? Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks is best known for her pivotal role in the Montgomery bus boycott. Rosa Parks refused to obey her driver, James Blake, his order to give up her seat in the colored section to a white passenger. Rosa Parks' act of defiance became an important symbol of a movement. Sometimes we have to do something that is not the status quo thing to do. Sometimes we have to do something that's unconventional to be leaven. See, leaven is actually, it causes fermentation within the dough. Leaven causes things to shift, change, burp, grow, get uncomfortable, get unpredictable. Yeah? In 1505, a young man, uh, I'll give you another example, but in 1505, a young man finished law school. But on his way home through a storm, It looked as though he wasn't going to live. And so he gets down on his knees and he cries out to God. And he says, God, if you would save me. And he actually prays to a saint. Because that was his context. Then I'll serve you the rest of my life in ministry. So the storm is abated and he's saved. And he took his vow seriously. Instead of going into law, he enrolled in seminary and became a monk. Made his mom and dad mad. His name is Martin Luther. He dedicated himself to the Augustinian order, devoting himself to fasting, long hours of prayer, pilgrimage, frequent confession. He describes this period of life as one of deep despair, actually. He says, during these first years in training, he lost touch with Christ, the Savior and the Comforter. He instead became one who was like in jail, one with a poor soul, one one who was oppressed. But then he had a change of heart. Then God met him. Then he began to get revelation. And the revelation would cause cataclysmic shifts within the culture that he's living, where the whole of culture, where every church, on every single corner, was the Catholic Church. And every church on every single corner was teaching from the Latin Bible. And every church, every church, or nearly every church, most every church, seemed to be lacking this revelation 
of salvation by grace. And he begins to get this revelation, but to get this revelation and to bring this revelation out meant risking his own life. But there came a day where in 1517, he confronts that which was status quo. He writes a thesis of 95 protests and presents that to church leadership. And it begins a reformation in all of the church, of which every church, every church, Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, every church has been affected by what happened with one man who received something from God, who could have hid it under a bushel, who could have said it's just salt, who could have said it's just a little bit of leaven, who could have just said, who am I? I'm just a, a little chunk of nothing. I'm just, I'm, he could have diminished, he could have downplayed, he could have despised, he could have retreated with what he had received and not expressed it. But the earth has been shifted and changed because of one man. Because of one man who confronted what then was status quo with truth, with insight, with revelation that so much of the population hadn't been walking in and hadn't received. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about champions, champions like these, Gideon, Daniel, Elijah, Elisha, Nehemiah, Paul. It was overwhelming to be over in Europe and to see the atmosphere that Paul entered into. As they built these, as they built these temples for these gods, Now, we, we were there in Rome, we were there in Athens. We see, you know, see these temples that they built for these gods. It's overwhelming. The altars, the sacrifices, the temples, everything that was going on, Paul could have just said, I'm just, I'm just a little bitty guy. I'm just one person. Who am I? But when you are one with God Almighty, when you are one with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, your life is so powerful. Your words are so powerful. When you walk away from an expression of goodness, of love, of righteousness, when you walk away from displaying this life that you have filled with hope, don't think for a minute that it's not powerful, that it's not yeast, that it's not making a difference, that God won't use it. And, and I believe that... that this is a secret to the Daniels. Daniel's taken captive, but he had something within him out of a theocracy understanding that when Daniel was taken captive, actually Nebuchadnezzar was taken captive. When you bring me into your realm, I've actually brought you in to his realm. This is the theocracy perspective that that we have got to live with, that, that the power of God is so great within us that it's going to transform everything we touch. We're going to burp a little bit. Fermentation. We're going to, we're going to do some, some crazy, expanded, uncomfortable things. We're, we're going to 
we're going to ferment the atmosphere that we're in with the goodness of God, with the love of God, with the word of God, with the hope of God in such a way that it's going to start shifting the atmosphere. This is how, and this is how visionaries shift culture. Visionaries shift culture every single day in ordinary life, living in their ordinary spheres and realms, but with super ordinary yeast, leaven, fermentation, grace, strength, and power that is not of their own. Even when you're acting normal, you're not normal. When you're acting normal, that righteousness is coming through you. That love is coming through you. That grace is coming through you. That boldness is coming through you. That hope is coming through you. And to you, sometimes we get so familiar with this as normal, we don't see that it's extremely abnormal, that it has fermentation power, that it has yeast leavening power. Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in a book he wrote called Tipping Point. Is that okay if I talk about that? And essentially what he's talking about in Tipping Point is that actually Pareto's law works in culture and society as much as it does in everything else. That 20% move the 80%. That Christianity, that the witness of Christ, the influence of God the power of the Holy Spirit, a life devoted to God, the influence of the church. It doesn't need to be the majority if it's 20%. If it's 20% in your workplace, if it's 20% in culture, if it's 20% anywhere, essentially he, he found that Pareto's law works in culture as well, that wherever, that, that 20% will move the 80%. But what if the twenty percent what if the twenty percent hides their yeast? What if the twenty percent is recluse? What if the twenty percent despises who they are? What if the twenty percent can't get the salt out of the shaker? What if the twenty percent just continue to see themselves in this negative light? Then the twenty percent it, it can't come together. And, and and what if your culture is just lacking three percent? What if your culture, the Pareto shift, the tipping point shift could come in your workplace, in your community, in your environment, in your neighborhood, and all it needs is three more percent. All it needs is you to engage. All it needs is you to engage. All it needs is for you to say yes. All it needs is for you to come on board. And others are actually waiting. The atmosphere is charged and waiting. The earth is waiting groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. Not for the sons of God to hide. The earth is not groaning for the sons of God to remain hidden and to put their yeast back in the bag. The earth is actually groaning for the sons of God to just stand up and live as sons and daughters of righteousness and truth and hope and joy. This is not complicated, church. And actually get the lemon juice off your face and come on, put a smile right up there because you know you're a blood-bought, redeemed, restored son and daughter of God. And so you make those facial, facial muscles just happier by just putting that smile on your face because you are a transformed one. He says, the first law of social, econ- 
epidemic, critical mass. What causes critical mass? The first law of social epidemic is the law of the few. The what? The law of the few. That just if a few connectors, people that know somebody. Anybody here know anybody? If a few connectors, number one, if a few salespeople, well, that's my number one job, sales. That's your number one job, sales. The word evangelist, evangelize, to herald, to make known. Even these testimonies. You know what? I had fun last week just telling a bunch of people that we had 14 breakthroughs in the midst of our congregation last week. If connectors, if salesmen, sales ladies, salespeople, and lastly, mavens. You know what mavens are? I don't know. I was reading about it. He talks about mavens. I've learned about mavens. He says a maven is a person who's knowledge-oriented. Like they research why something is really working, why it's good, why it's a good product, why others should have it, why others should use it, and they can describe to you. So they're not just selling on emotion, but a a maven actually looks into the wholeness or the fullness or the background of something, and they can actually describe to you why you need it. So when mavens connect with connectors and salespeople, then just those few can actually begin to move something forward to critical mass where it causes an epidemic where everybody wants it. And you know what I think? That's what God's up to in America right now with Christianity. And you are his connectors, his salespeople, and his mavens. I stand this morning. I'm going to have the... Worship team, join us. I want to read a word to you, a prophetic word that I came across this week, and it so bears witness to this. This is a word by Charlie Champ, a prophetic voice in the nation. I think this is, I think this is what God's up to. I'm praying that we will lay hold of this perspective. I was recently in prayer. This is what he says and was taken in the spirit. I looked and saw these deep-seated old roots of corruption in the foundation of the White House. And in the vision, the White House appeared to be shaped like a very old tree with its branches withering. Suddenly, the hand of the Lord came and pulled it out of the ground. Another White House was put in its place that roots and its roots were revealed as righteousness and peace. The hand of the Lord planted it into rich soil, and it began to flourish. Its branches contained beautiful fruit, and as I looked at the tree, it seemed to be an olive tree. And then I was taken up into the House of Representatives in the Senate and the Supreme Court, where I saw them uprooted as well and replaced with new trees, and their foundations were righteousness and peace, and they too began to flourish and bear fruit, and appeared to be olive trees as well with multicolored fruit. And I heard the Lord speak, I've extended an olive branch of peace to the United States of America and will extend Donald Trump's presidency into a second term by the power of my right hand. What I have done in the White House will happen in every branch of government in the United States where I will pull out corruption and plant trees of righteousness that will bear much fruit. Even now the axe is laid to the root of these corrupt trees. Every tree which does not bear good fruit will be cut down, pulled out, and thrown into the fire. There will come forth new terms filled with peace branches, and branches will grow out of righteous roots. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest upon America again. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will return once again across the land. And then I looked and I saw a massive red tsunami coming to America. Suddenly it crashed against the shores and covered the nations. And I said, does that mean the disaster will come? And I heard the Lord say, I will come to America with another wave of revival. This will be a third wave that will crash against the shores so intensely the nation will awaken to righteousness again and I will cover the nation with my blood. Cities will experience salvation from my hand. I will empower my church to preach the message of the cross and multitudes will run to altars on street corners and stadiums as I fill the nation with the blood of my son from sea to shining sea. You are this little bit. You are this little bit. God is using you to change the whole thing. But He needs you out of the package, He needs you dumped in to the dough of everyday life. He needs you kneaded in, mixed in, mixed in, mixed in, kneaded in. Unafraid. Confident that the closer you get to the darkness around you, the more powerful the yeast will work. Not retreating to our homes where it's safe, advancing into the dough, advancing into the culture advancing into the situations, confident that this yeast within you is so powerful, it is so, it's so much more powerful than the thing that you're mixed into, that it will cause absolute change. It will cause absolute change. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. to deposit a confidence within that the power of theocracy is more powerful than the power of democracy. That the power of one with you is more powerful than crowds that the enemy has. That the power of one who's shaken, who's sprinkled, who's dispersed, who's kneaded in to culture is the power that you need. It's all the power you need. And that together, we're the connectors, we're the salesmen, we're the mavens, we're the ones that bring a tipping point. You're using us. We're the called out ones. We're the set apart ones. We're the remnant. We're the first fruits. The first fruits. The first fruits of what you're doing globally, in our region, in these United States. We're the leaven. We say yes to you. Come on, as we close in worship this morning, would you just say yes to him right there where you're at? Just say yes, say yes, yes. Hands up, hearts up. Just lift yourself. 
before him. Say, Lord, use me. Use me, use me, use me. Oh, I welcome the courage of the Holy Spirit. I, I welcome the boldness of the Holy Spirit. I welcome the, the insight, the wisdom, the expressions. The awareness of the Gideon warrior. Aware, aware, perceptive. I welcome a visionary heart, Lord, not flying by what I see. Not just reflecting what I hear or what I see or what, what's going on around me, but I welcome the visionary heart of above, flying by the instruments of your word, flying by the instruments of your Holy Spirit, flying by faith. Thank you for it, Lord. I see a vast army going out this week. We go out those doors, we're a vast army. We're those who wreck Satan's plans. We're those who mess up, who mess up what he's been setting and doing, trapping culture in and trapping lives in. The discouragement, the heaviness, the fear, the bondage, the hopelessness, the despair, the negativity. We're sent out to wreck it. We're sent out to wreck it. We're sent out to wreck it. We rejoice in it today in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship as we go this morning.